0: It is great to see each of you here this evening and I hope that you are excited to be here for this opportunity that we have on this first day of the week to be able to worship our God in heaven above. You know what a, what a wonderful opportunity it is that is presented to each of us week in and week out. And I hope that you understand the serious nature of what takes place twice a, twice a day here on the first day of the week. Within this hour that we have that we call our worship period. I hope that you counted a blessing in your life, but that you again also understand the serious nature of what it is that we're doing. I hope that you understand that you should come into the presence of Almighty God with a cautious and calculated mindset, with an effort knowing that there is a rhyme and a reason as to why we do the things that we do. You and I understand that when we come into the presence of God to worship him, it is something that we are doing that demands not only our respect, but also our reverence for almighty God, seeing as he is the center of our worship and who it is that we give our honor and our praise. You know, when I think about our father in heaven above, when I think about almighty God, you and I understand, we know that everything that he does, he does so with purpose. We understand that behind every decision and every thought and everything that he has ever done for us... There has been perfect and infinite wisdom and the thought process behind it, not in the sense that God had to think long and hard about it, but in the sense of there is, like we said a moment ago, a rhyme and a reason as to why God set into place the things that you and I are supposed to do. We understand that as it comes to things like creation. We understand that as it comes to things like the covenant and uh, things like salvation and the grand scheme of redemption. We understand that in all aspects of our life, and that makes sense because you look at passages like 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33 where the apostle Paul tells us that God is not the author of confusion. We understand that God is the author rather of unity, that he is one who is trying to help us all have the same mind and the same judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And yet it is the case, unfortunately, that there are many individuals, many people in our world who still seem somewhat confused. There are people in our world who still seem somewhat confused as to what they're supposed to do in this life. Maybe confused is not the right word, but they just simply don't do... What they're supposed to do. In fact, I'm reminded of, of a passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 the apostle Peter is talking to the brethren there and he's talking about how individuals are taking the scriptures. They are taking the Bible, they are taking the word of God and they are twisting it, they are torturing it, they are perverting the Bible so that it, they can make it say what they want it to say so that they can live their life with no regret and no guilt on their conscience and yet what does Peter say that they 're doing? They are twisting it to what end? to their own destruction. You want to understand that if we are individuals who are going to take the scriptures and we are going to mangle them and make them say what we want them to say, ultimately, destruction is what is going to be our end. We know John chapter 12 and verse 48 that we 're going to be judged in the end by the words of who? by the words of Jesus, not by the words of you and I or some other rendition of scripture. It is going to be by Jesus Christ himself. We understand that to be true with everything involved within our lives, but specifically this evening, I want to talk about this idea within our worship. We understand that when it comes to our worship, there is a very specific way that you and I are to, are to approach Almighty God. There are specific instructions, a how, a why, a when, a very specific ways as to, as to how we're supposed to worship our Father in heaven above. From the beginning of time, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, you can see individuals who are twisting the commands of Almighty God. They're twisting the commands of their Father in heaven and they're making the Bible, or rather the, the commands from God, they're trying to twist them to say what they want it to say so that they can approach God and worship Him in a way that is only pleasing to them and not pleasing to Almighty God, they worship God seemingly in whatever way it is that they want, and they did it back then and they seemingly do it today as well. Tonight I want to start a two-part series. I want to begin it tonight, and then next Sunday night I want to finish it, and I want to look at this idea of worship. Whether or not our worship is wicked or unworthy in the sight of God, or if our worship is worthy and accepted by Almighty God. What I want to do tonight is I want to look at two different examples within the Old Testament. I want to look at worship uh, two different ways um, that are wicked. Worship that is that was not accepted by Almighty God, and that's what we're going to focus on this evening, and then next week we're going to look at some practical examples and some practical tips to help us worship God in a worthy way so that our worship will ultimately be accepted by Almighty God. I want to start out this, uh, this evening by looking at an individual by the name of Cain. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 4. I want to look at Genesis chapter 4, and I think we all know the story when we go back to the beginning of the Bible and we read about Cain and Abel. I think you and I understand what's going on. We know that, Abel. Abel is the brother of Cain. We know that Abel's job was a keeper of the sheep. In other words, he was like a farmer. Someone who who herded cattle, someone who tended to the animals. That was what his job was. Then you look at Cain, and we understand that Cain was someone that we call the tiller of the ground, someone who who was, I guess, a gardener, someone who worked in the ground. Nothing wrong with his profession, nothing wrong with Abel's profession. Both were honorable things. Both were diligent in their job. Both did what they were supposed to do, and that kind of leads us up. Up to what happens here as you look at verse three. If you look at verse three of Genesis chapter four, we understand that God has commanded Cain and Abel to bring sacrifices before him, to bring a worship for him, towards him, and to offer it before Almighty God. And at this point, as you get into verse 3, everything seems great. They are both working hard at their jobs. They are both receiving the instructions from God. They understand what it is that they're supposed to do. They offer the sacrifices. They offer the worship. The worship is directed towards the right place. God is the focus of their worship And then you get into verse 5, and that is where things kind of begin to go downhill. We understand Abel's sacrifice, Abel's worship, is something that is is accepted by God. But then you get to verse 5, and what happens? We understand that in verse 5, Cain's worship, Cain's sacrifice, is something that is rejected by Almighty God. Now, there are a lot of differing opinions. As to why the the offering of of Cain, or rather the, the sacrifice, the worship of Cain was rejected by Almighty God. There's a lot of people say that he had an impure motive when he worshiped. There's a lot of people who say that he had a bad attitude or that he didn't love God or many different things. And I guess we could say kind of sum up all those things and say perhaps some of those things are true. But we're going to get into a reason as to why Cain's worship was simply not accepted by Almighty God. So again, I guess we could ask this question. Abel's worship was brought before God. It was accepted by God. God looked down with pleasure on Abel. Why not Cain? Why was Cain's worship something that was rejected by Almighty God? I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11. I think this verse right here kind of clears things up for us as we talk about this idea of why Cain's worship was rejected. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, we understand this chapter to be the great chapter of faith. We look at individuals, great pillars of the Old Testament, who are stand-up examples. For you and I today, even in the 21st century, we can look at their lives and see their faith and understand that they did all kinds of things for the glory of God, And their fa- even when their faith was put to the test. And you start out this entire chapter by talking about a man by the name of Abel. And I want you to notice verse 4 with me. The Bible says that by faith... Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. You know, when people look at this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 4, there's a lot of people who think that God was unfair. There's a lot of people who look at this passage of scripture and think, God, you're being unjust. God, you're not being fair to Cain. You must love Abel more than you love Cain. You must not like Cain. You must dislike him because of what has happened here in this passage. And to a lot of people, it just doesn't make sense. But you have to understand that the sacrifices had to be offered by faith. They had to be offered by faith. That is how Abel offered his worship to Almighty God. It was by faith. Thus, by necessary inference, we have to come to the conclusion that Cain did not do what? He did not offer his worship and his sacrifice to Almighty God by faith. So I guess we could ask the question, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that Abel offered worship to God by faith and that Cain did not? Think about Romans chapter 10. What does verse 17 tell us? That faith comes by what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Almighty God. Abel, by faith, obviously had to have heard the commands by Almighty God. Do we know what the commands were? Do we know what the parameters were? No, but we do know that God told Abel how he wanted to be worshipped, how a sacrifice was to be brought to him. Abel must have done that because his worship was accepted by God. And so we can logically conclude that Cain must not have done that because his worship was not accepted by Almighty God. That is how Abel did it through faith. Cain obviously did not. Thus, his sacrifice was ultimately rejected. That is why Cain ends up in verse 5 with this attitude that he does have. The Bible says that Cain's countenance falls, that Cain's attitude, his demeanor, it literally falls. He becomes angry. Cain becomes someone who is upset. In fact, if you go back to the Greek, or not to the Greek, but to the Hebrew, that word literally means to glow. It means to grow warm. Cain is literally getting hot because his sacrifice, his worship, that he thought should have been accepted by God, was not. And so here Cain's thinking, what is going on? I have offered sacrifices to you, God. I've worshiped you. Why is it not being accepted? You know, sometimes I think that we end up just like Cain. I think sometimes in our lives we were commanded to do something and perhaps maybe we don't do it in the way that we're supposed to do it. And because of our foolish actions, because of doing something in the wrong way, we end up in a worse situation. We end up in a bad situation and sometimes our countenance falls. Sometimes our attitudes fall. You and I sometimes become angry. Sometimes we become upset and we begin to, like we talked about this morning, play the blame game. We begin to look around at everybody else and wonder what have you done to put me in this in the terrible situation that I'm in and oftentimes we look to God God why did you put me in this situation why did you allow this position where that I'm in to happen aren't you God can't you control everything why did you allow this to happen to me in my life but I guess we have to ask the question whose fault was it whose fault was it that Cain ended up in the position where he was was it God's fault no Was it Abel's fault? No. Was it Adam and Eve's fault, his parents? No. Whose fault was it? It was Cain's fault, wasn't it? He was in the position where he was because of his own actions in this life. The responsibility was placed upon him to worship God in a very certain and in a very specific way, and he failed. He didn't follow through with the commands of God. He didn't step up to the plate, so to speak, to fulfill what God wanted him to do. And because of that, his worship was ultimately rejected. People say, how dare how dare you say that my worship's not going to be accepted by God? God knows what's in my heart. I'm happy. It makes my heart happy the way that I worship. It puts a smile on my face the way that I worship. I worship with a good heart, with good intentions. I'm trying to do the right thing, and it makes me happy. I know surely it makes God happy. I would get so upset and so angry if you tell me that my worship is not being accepted by Almighty God. But why? Why would we say something like that? Until you and I do what God has asked us to do in the way that God has prescribed for us to do within his word, our worship will never, ever, ever be accepted by Almighty God. You can feel good all you want about it. You can leave the building feeling good all you want about it. You can think in your mind that you've done the right thing, that you are a great person, a righteous person, a faithful person. You can leave these doors thinking, I've worshiped God, and I feel great, and I know God feels great about it. I know I didn't really do it according to the way he wanted me to, but I did it in a way that made me feel good, surely. Surely that's good enough for him. At least I worshiped him, right? But until you and I have that nod of approval from our Father within Scripture— Our worship will never, ever be pleasing to God, and that is what makes for wicked and unworthy worship. Every single time wicked and unworthy worship is mentioned within the scriptures, you can see how evil it is. You can see how wrong it is, how every single time it is not ever accepted by Almighty God. And I think sometimes that we feel like we can come into the assemblies and we can worship God in whatever way it is that we want. That as long as we throw our worship towards him, surely he's going to accept it. You don't have to understand that's not the case because obviously that's what Cain did. Cain had a worship ready and he threw it at God and God did not accept it because Cain did not offer it by faith. He did not listen to the commands of God thus his sacrifice was ultimately rejected. The second example, this is the last one we'll talk about. I won't keep you very long this evening. I want to talk about Nadab and Abihu. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 10 with me. Leviticus chapter 10. And you know, when, when I think about, there's couples within the Bible. And when I say couples, I don't necessarily always mean spouses. But when, when I look at certain individuals in the Bible, you can't help but think about their counterpart. You know, when, when I think about Aquila, Who do you think of? You think of Priscilla, right? When I I think about James, who do you say? You say John. When you think about Ananias, what else do you say? You say Sapphira, right? Well, unfortunately, when you say Nadab, I immediately think about Abihu. I think about these two brothers who were sons of the high priest Aaron who met their most unfortunate ending to their lives. And really, this is this really is a sad portion of Scripture. It's a story that so many of us know, um, and yet I think sometimes maybe we don't take it seriously because we don't think that that could ever happen to you and I today. And I guess God God doesn't interact with us like the way he did when Nadab and Abihu, and thankfully so, because oftentimes we mess up and don't do what we're supposed to do. But like was read at our Scripture reading, we have these examples for us so that we can learn from them. We know as we begin talking about Leviticus 2, and we know that they were priests. In fact, we know that Aaron was the high priest. He was brought up. In fact, Nadab and Abihu were brought up knowing all about worshiping God. They were in a household of a man who was the one in charge of their worship. They probably knew better than anybody else how they were supposed to worship God and in what way that they were supposed to worship Almighty God. Not only do they know how they were supposed to do it, but also notice this. They were supposed to teach it, weren't they? Look at verse 11 here. Leviticus chapter 10. Look with me at verse 11. You go back to verse 8. The Bible says that the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying... You jump to verse, uh, to verse, uh, verse 10. He says... Let's see, verse 11, excuse me, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statues which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. They were supposed to teach it. They were more than capable of knowing how to worship God. In fact, they knew it so well that they were put in charge of teaching other people around them what the statues of Almighty God were. That was their job. Thus, there was no excuse for them whatsoever. Go back to Leviticus uh, earlier in the chapter. You look at verse one with me here. Look at this. The Bible says that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So I guess to kind of set the stage, you have two priests They are offering worship to God. They are the sons of priests, thus they are knowledgeable and studied in how they're supposed to worship God. They knew how to worship God, and yet they both do it in the wrong way. Here's what's so interesting to me. I guess it's ironic. If you look at this passage of Scripture here on the screen before you, Exodus chapter 30, The Bible says that when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. This is God giving the instructions to the high priest on how to worship. Notice this, you shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. What was this explicit command to the high priest? What was it? They were not supposed to offer any profane or strange fire or incense before Almighty God. And yet, amidst all of their instructions, amidst all of their knowledge and the commands of worship, what did they do? They offered strange incense and fire. They offered something to God that he had never authorized for them to do. Now, some people, like we talked about with Cain, might get upset. And they say, oh, well, God, that's just, that's just so unfair. You didn't tell them that they couldn't do this specific thing. You didn't tell them that there was a specific fire that they couldn't do. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. Surely their motives were pure. Think, I mean, they're worshiping you, God. They're offering worship to you. That's better than what some people can say. Surely you're not that upset with them. But here's an interesting thought. This is where something comes into play that you and I know today as the silence of the scriptures. Okay, there is this concept that we talk about that is called the silence of the scriptures. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter four and verse two, he said, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor shall you take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Yes, God laid out for Nadab and Abihu a very specific and exact way in which they were supposed to offer worship to him. It is correct that God told them, here's exactly what I want you to do. It is also correct that God never told them what they couldn't do. So where's the big deal? What did God do? God told them everything that they were supposed to do. And thus, within God telling them everything that they were supposed to do, it automatically rules out because God is the creator and the most powerful being it automatically rules out everything else. God does not have to list every single thing that he doesn't want you to do. What does he have to do? He simply has to tell you what he wants you to do because of his power and because of his almighty authority. This is where people get themselves in trouble with, and I think probably the most popular way of using this comes within this idea of instrumental music and worship. People say, well, give me book chapter verse where uh, the Bible says that I can't use a piano. I can't do that. Can you? Can you? People say, give me a book, chapter, and verse where the Bible says you can't use a guitar or you can't use praise teams. You can't use it, whatever it might be, et cetera. And you're right. I can't do that. But you know what I can give you a book, chapter, and verse 4? For what we're commanded to do. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Colossians 3 and verse 16, what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to sing. Thus, because we have the one command from God, it automatically rules out everything else that there is that this world offers you and I. It is authoritative and it is also restrictive. You and I are called to worship God in spirit and in in truth. John chapter four and verse 24. The verse before that in verse 23 says that God is seeking such to worship him. He doesn't just want anybody and somebody just to walk up and worship him. He wants them to do it with the right attitude and the right mindset. And we're gonna talk about that next week as we talk about what true worship really truly is. It has to be done in the way that he wants it to be done. Thus, it warranted the response that happened to Nadab and Abihu. What happened to them? Look at verse two. Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse two, the Bible says that fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. There was a refusal by Nadab and Abihu to worship God in the way that he commanded them to. There was a refusal for Nadab and Abihu to sanctify themselves and to present themselves in a way to the holy creator. There was a way that they were supposed to do it, and yet they didn't do it. There was a refusal to show the respect and the reverence that God deserves in this life, and they refused to do that. They were self-willed. They were selfish. In fact, there was a lack of self-control that we talked about this morning to do what God wanted them to do over what their own selfish desires wanted them to do. There was an unwillingness to submit to the authority of Almighty God. And ironically, you notice, what did they do? They offered fire before God, profane fire. How did God destroy them in this life? He ironically killed them with fire, didn't he? He destroyed them with the thing that they were offering to Almighty God in in profane worship towards him. The reason being is this, and a lot of people, I guess, miss this part as you get into verse three. If you look at verse three, the Bible says that Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, look at this, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, he says, "I must be glorified." Some people say, "Oh, it just seems so unfair to kill him off. Like, why couldn't you have just done something else? Why did you have to punish him in the first place? At least they worshipped you. At least they were doing something right. Again, that's better than what a lot of other people do at all." This verse right here, verse three, is why they were killed. It is so important. That you and I as Christians, as individuals, whenever we approach Almighty God in worship, whenever we come to assemble ourselves together and we sit in these pews to offer our worship before our Creator, that we do so with the right mindset and with the right attitude. We must come prepared and ready to carry out the commands of Almighty God as it pertains to our worship. If we do anything else, then our worship becomes unworthy. If we do anything else other than what God has commanded us to do, if we add anything in, if we take anything out, our worship immediately becomes unworthy and unacceptable to Almighty God. If we are going to approach God, we must regard Him as holy, and He must be glorified in everything that we do within our worship service. We have to understand who God is and what He has done. Native and Abihu, they forgot what worship was about they and have an Abihu approach their worship as an opportunity for them to make themselves feel good. I think a lot of times you and I, we come into the worship assembly. We come in with the mindset of, I hope I get something out of worship today. And truthfully, if you worship the right way, you will get something out of worship. But ultimately, as we come to assemble before God, why are we here? We're not here for you and I, are we? You and I are here first and foremost to glorify our Father in heaven, to worship and to offer him praise. You and I receiving encouragement and learning from it is just a byproduct of that. You don't come to worship to necessarily make yourself happy. You don't come to worship to put a smile on your face and to make your heart feel good. You come to worship to glorify your father, to glorify your creator because of what he has done for you. That is why we assemble on the first day of the week. And I think too many times we forget that. If we don't approach God with the right mindset week after week after week, then we too will meet our demise. I think it's very interesting, though, as we look at the last part of this passage of Scripture, you look at how Aaron responds. You look at how Aaron responds here, the very last line in verse 3. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that in all of this, Aaron does what? He holds his peace. Aaron holds his peace. Keep in mind, Aaron's the father. His two sons, Nadab and Abihu, sons whom I'm sure he loved very dearly, were just killed. Sons that he loved, that he cherished, that he wanted to see grow up, I'm sure, have just been slain by Almighty God. Surely, he felt some kind of emotion. Surely, he felt some kind of remorse and guilt when he looked at Nadab and Abihu, understanding they have been killed as his sons. But you see, Aaron knew how God wanted to be worshipped, didn't he? In fact, Aaron was a high priest. Aaron taught his sons how God was supposed to be worshipped, and they disobeyed him, and ultimately, they disobeyed Almighty God. How How did Aaron react? He holds his peace. Why? People say, why didn't you get all up in arms? Why didn't you get mad? Why didn't you get angry? Your sons have just died. They've just been killed. Aaron held his peace because he knew that God was just. He knew that his sons had not approached God with the right mindset and the right attitude. And because of it, they were killed. Aaron held his peace because he understood that profane worship had been offered. Arrogant and presumptuous worship had been offered. He holds his peace. And he bows before the righteousness of Almighty God. One more passage. Go to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 as we close out this morning, or rather this evening. Romans 15 and verse 4. You know, we we looked at passages this morning, all from the Old Testament. We looked at passages this evening, all from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I hope that you do. But I think a lot of people look at the Old Testament and they think it's outdated. It has nothing to do with our time period. We're not even under the Old Testament. Why do we have passages like Romans chapter 15? Or passages like we talked about um, this morning and just a few moments ago. You and I have to understand the importance of the Old Testament and what it does for you and I today as New Testament Christians. Romans 15, beginning of verse 4, the passages that was read just a moment ago. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Every single time you and I open up the Bible, truthfully, but really the Old Testament, we are able to go back into time. We are able to go back into history, and we are able to see the good things that individuals have done, and we looked at a couple of those this morning. But truthfully, we're able to see so many of the mistakes the people of God made, and we're able to learn In fact, you know the quote that so many people have said before me, that those who don't learn from history are what? They're doomed to repeat it. If you and I don't look at the Old Testament, if we don't even look at the New Testament, and we look at example after example of how individuals approached God in worship to him with reverence, with respect, or you flip that coin and you look at people like Nadab and Abihu and Cain, who offered worship that was profane, worship that was not offered in faith, We can look at those examples and we can learn from them. And if we don't, then we're doomed to worship God in the exact same way that they did. I hope that that's not the case. I hope that you have approached God today and that you will continue to approach God with the right attitude and with the right mindset. And you might ask, well, how do we do that? How do we approach God and worship in the the right way next Sunday night? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what worthy worship really looks like and how it is that you and I can offer that. And I hope that you're here with us next Sunday night in order to do that. One other thing, though, as we think about this, you know, you can't really worship God in the right way and in the right mindset if you are someone who is not yet a Christian. You can't approach God with the right attitude and with the right mind if you haven't even given your life over to Him. Know that you can do that tonight. You can submit yourself to Him his authority you can put him on in baptism understanding that water is a representation of the blood of Jesus and it can wash your sins away and you can go on your way rejoicing just as the Ethiopian unit did in Acts chapter 8 or perhaps you're here tonight as a Christian and maybe your life's not right maybe you haven't been worshiping God with the right attitude and the right mindset perhaps you come into our assemblies thinking why do I have to be here why do I want to be, why, why am I here at all? There's other places I would rather be. I'll just, I'll just come and I'll sleep through my hour of worship. I'll check it off on my list and I'll walk out the doors and I'll be ready to go until next Sunday. Perhaps your attitude's just not right and what it should be. Know that you can fix that. You can take that to God be- between you and him. And you can ask him for forgiveness and you can try to worship him in the right way. Or perhaps there's something else in your life, something that is amiss, a sin, something that is not right. Know that you can change that and fix that. You can come forward repenting of those things. We'll pray for you. You can start over with a, with a, a clean slate, knowing that you have your family here at East Hill backing you, behind you, and encouraging you all the way. And so perhaps the case is that you need to turn your life over to God or you need to rededicate your life to God